This is how we disable toxic masculinity. We need to kill all men. It's pagan patriarchalism that is coming back out of the shadows. Feminists hate patriarchy. It's the woman that runs the show and the woman that runs the community and is the backbone of, of that area. I'm a nasty woman. A loud, vulgar, proud woman. Patriarchy. Unfortunately, can't see why egalitarianism would be a bad thing. The assumption that wives should make babies instead of money is part of the Don't say hi to strange women you don't know. Patriarchy. The patriarchy. 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 Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. And that is John chapter 8, verses 34 to 36. You are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, and you are listening to the Patriarchy. My name is Tony DePani, and I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Now, there are people starting to wake up to this, uh, Tony, and, and, one, and one of the things they're waking up is that the idea of pornography is uh, uh, enslaving people. Uh, one of the things pornography does is it takes young men out of the battle. Mm-hmm. It, it really is enslaving, and it really it takes you out of the battle. It makes you weak. Um, you remember Samson, the strongest man in all of, all of, the, of the Bible, what makes him weak? Women. Women, right? Sexual immorality. His enemies use sexual immorality and women to make him weak. There's a guy named Grayson Quay that says this very helpfully. He says, self-control makes strong men. Self-indulgence makes weak men. Mm-hmm. Strong men make good citizens. Weak men make good slaves. Strong men are capable of doing harm. Weak men are incapable of doing anything else. Right? Sexual immorality makes you weak, and one of the ways it makes you weak is by uh, the constant guilt from your sin that you experience. When you're enslaved to pornography and you're watching that and you're in this fight, in this battle, it's like this this cycle. And it always like you, you think, I'm going to fight this, I'm going to fight this, and then you give in. And, 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 and in the middle, you're giving in and you're feeling the pleasure and you're enjoying it. But then soon as it's over, guilt, and you're at a very low point where, like, I'm never doing this again. And while you're in the midst of that battle, always you're, you're not able to actually be engaged in uh, battles taking the gospel into the world and, and, and being free. And, and uh, instead, that guilt, it makes you shrink back from the battle. Thankfully, there are people that are waking up to the at least the idea of pornography, and so uh, Tony, there was this uh, this thing 
and I think you said it's happened before, but they called it No Nut November. Yeah, yeah, it's, I think it, from what I've read, I think it happens every year. I don't know how long it's been going on, but I remember reading about it in years past. So it's a little crude, No Nut November, but the idea is that uh, men, and, the, and listen, these are not a lot of, a lot of, not of them are Christians, and they're often operating in their own flesh trying to fight this, but uh, I am thankful that they are waking up to the idea that this controls them. So the idea is that for the month of November, they're not going to masturbate. They're not going to have sexual relations. And uh, this is happening on Reddit and other websites. And actually, according to one of the moderators of the subreddit, 52,000 people were, were, were documenting their day-by-day progress throughout the month of November, this past November. That's a lot of people. Uh, and so uh, 52,000 people writing this, documenting this, saying we're going to be, we want to be done with pornography. Now, here is the funny thing, well, and sad, is that uh, Rolling Stone magazine caught on with this. And uh, they wrote an article where they, they had a uh, clinical psychologist and sex therapist who studies pornography and mental health. Uh, named David Lee, a Ph. He refers to this as a creepy little smorgasbord of insecurity-driven hate with anti-Semitism, misogyny, and homophobia all wrote up in one. What? Wow. That's, wow. So if you're putting away, if you're not looking at porn, you're an, you're, you're, you hate Jews, you hate women, and you're homophobic. Wait, wait, what was this guy's title again? A clinical psychologist and sex therapist, and he's calling people creepy. <laughs> I mean, come he actually on, man. partnered. He partnered with a cam website called Strip Chat, uh, 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 which is a porn website, to do a, uh, uh, what they call AMAs on Reddit. It's like a message board where you ask questions, and so he did. He did uh, this uh, AMA where he was trying to debunk the myths associated with. No, not November. So basically, he's trying to say, you know, uh, pornography is actually good, right? Um, and so wow. he says the irony, the irony, and this is this Rolling Stone, is that the anti-masturbation movement, while it's ostensibly intended to fight the larger porn industry's attempt to brainwash and emasculate white men, anti-masturbation ideology has historically been used as a tool by fascist figures to gain social control. It's Nazis. Uh. You're a Nazi if you don't look at porn. <laughs> if you do not look no. at porn, you are a Nazi. Hey, would you play that clip that I have? Actually, people, you can hear him saying it. Yep, here we go. I masturbates. Dr. Lay <laughs> explained that the main proponents of this no-wank philosophy were the Proud Boys. Masturbation is lack of impulse control. The Proud Boys believe that not masturbating increases their testosterone and makes them more desirable to women. Which brings up one question. Is it working for the Proud Boys? Research actually finds that less masturbation reduces testosterone. So there's evidence that masturbating makes you a more masculine man. A lot of really good things happen in your body and your brain. But also research is finding that people who watch more pornography, they are more feminist, and interestingly, they develop more egalitarian values over time. And what's funny is, so he's quoting there a... a, a a study published by the Journal of Sex Research conducted by the University of Western Ontario. 
and that compared people who watch porn with people who don't. And what they found out is that if you watched an adult film at least once in the past year, you held more egalitarian ideas about women in positions of power and women working outside the home. Hmm. That means you want women to work outside the home. You want women to be in power. And also you have more positive views towards abortion. Nothing bad could come of that. So you're telling me it's playing. This is good. Like watching porn makes you an egalitarian. <laughs> it, it makes you support abortion. What it does is it makes you a weak man incapable of leading. Mm-hmm. That's what they want. Of course, you're not going to lead a woman and you're going to want women in power because you're compromised morally. You're morally compromised and you know you don't have the moral authority to lead. And of course, you want the woman working outside the home so that you don't have to work as hard. You can stay in your parents' basement jerking off. And of course, you want abortion because if you're by chance lucky enough to find a woman, you can get her pregnant and not have to take any kind of responsibility. Yep. One thing leads to another in that. Quickly, it leads to another in that. So porn, porn destroys your masculinity. It's a form of enslavement. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be on the line with none other than Dr. E. Michael Jones from Culture Wars magazine. So stick around. You're on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network, and you are listening to The Patriarchy. We'll be right back. on the line with E. Michael Jones. Dr. Jones is an American writer, former professor at St. Mary's College in Indiana, and the current editor of Culture Wars magazine. He has written on topics such as the decline of Western culture, cultural Marxism, as well as the mindsets of modernism, postmodernism, and sexuality. His most recent book, Logos Rising, History of the Ultimate Reality, is available in January. Married to his wife of 50 years, they have five children and 18 grandchildren. Dr. Jones, welcome to the Patriarchy. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, well Dr. Jones, uh, we do want to thank you for your time to come on our show and being interviewed, and we're excited to have you on. Let me start by giving you a little bit about us, who we are, and then where we hope to go with the interview. Okay. So we're, we're a couple of Protestant men. Um, I'm a pastor who saw a need to learn and teach into the sphere of biblical masculinity. And so by Protestant, we don't mean the, the non-Christian mainline denominations or the squishy, modern, evangelical, big box, kumbaya kind of thing either. <laughs> so we're, we're confessionally reformed Presbyterians. And just to be clear to you and to our listeners, we do still strongly affirm against the papacy and we hold tightly to the five solace. And so we, while we don't consider the Roman Catholic Church to be the one holy Catholic Church, we do genuinely hope and pray for their true repentance and the faith. But we do say that to say welcome to the show. And so from my understanding, you're a settled Roman Catholic, not afraid to take a punch nor throw run. And so uh, and or not afraid to recognize the distinction between your views and ours. So right. Right. To get on topic, we wanted to uh, uh, talk about sexual immorality as control. You know, uh, kind of recently there was another Roman Catholic, uh, Matt Walsh, wrote an article about banning porn pornography, received all kinds of this backlash. It's been really crazy. 
So uh, you wrote a book, uh, Libido Dominati, that traces the idea of sexual immorality as control. And before we kind of dig into that book, you, you, you in, a, in another book, you had this story about the Israeli army and the Palestinians and porn. Can you kind of just give us that story to kind of set the stage? Yeah, that was uh, in uh, 2000, March of 2002. The Israelis marched into Ramallah, the army, the IDF. And uh, the first thing they did was take over the TV stations. And the second thing they did was start broadcasting pornography. Now, this, I think, is significant because it explains what pornography is. Uh, it's not something that just happens. It's, it's uh, a weapon, and it's a weapon to be used against people that you want to subjugate. So uh, if you don't accept that premise, then you're going to have to explain to me uh, why the Israelis wanted to bring uh, liberation to the uh, Palestinian people, because that's the conventional American explanation of what happened here. Uh, now, this uh, is important because it happened in the United States as well. It wasn't as dramatic as that. It wasn't tanks rolling in, but it did happen in the United States over a much longer period of time. So it began uh, in the 1920s uh, when Hollywood started producing films that basically outraged the sensibilities of all Americans. At this point, the Protestants decided to do something about it. They were obviously the dominant group at that point, and they failed. Uh, the Hayes Commission failed to reign in Hollywood, and at this point, the Catholics, um, the other part of uh, America, I, I, my, America is based on three ethnic groups that have or three different religions, Protestant, Catholic, Jew. So the Catholics stepped up to the plate, organized a boycott, uh, and they basically brought Hollywood to its knees, and Hollywood adopted the production code. Uh, at that point, uh, the Catholics pretty much ran Hollywood, in, in a sense, in the sense that they prohibited uh, ridicule of the clergy, obscenity, nudity, and a lot of other stuff that was kind of irrelevant, but uh, was part of the, the code. This lasted until 1965, when the uh, Jews who ran Hollywood broke the code with a film called The Pawn Broker, which is basically a Holocaust porn film. Mm -hmm. They used the Holocaust to smuggle bare breasts onto the screen. That broke the code, and the Catholics had lost their nerve at that point. They, they were crippled by a misunderstanding of the Vatican Council, and so they just let it happen. They closed down the Legion of Decency, which was the enforcement agency, and within seven years, we had hardcore pornography on main, on uh, first-run theaters. Mm -hmm. Deep Throat being the big example. Uh, the Jews defended this. You can check, uh, click on uh, uh, YouTube, uh, type in Alan Dershowitz, William F. Buckley, Harry Reams, and there's Alan Dershowitz defending pornography. No one defended pornography uh, up to this point. They would defend a certain uh, film as art, uh, uh, and said it had redeeming social value, but there's um, uh, Alan Dershowitz defending pornography. What happened here is once once uh, once they were allowed to do this, they they had no check. There was no check on these people, and pornography spread like wildfire. It's always driven by technology. So uh, in, in the initial stage, it was uh, film loops, 
run by a uh, a Jew by the name of Ruben Sturman, who owned all of the theaters with film loops. He ended up going to jail, and then it became uh, VHS tapes. It was basically the main reason people bought v- VCRs was to play pornography, at least at the beginning. And then finally it got onto the Internet. And uh, at that point, the Clinton administration stepped in and basically made the world safe for pornography uh, by passing the misnamed uh, Communications uh, Decency Act, which basically removed any threat of prosecution. Uh, so what you had is now uh, a, a generation of 20-year-olds who have grown up with pornography on their cell phones uh, immediately available, and the result uh, uh, was predictable. It's addiction. Uh, people uh, wake up, young men wake up, and they realize they are addicted to this because it's it's uh, it's that type of has has that type of power to it. Mm-hmm. Now, anyone who was familiar with the Christian tradition could have predicted this. Saint Augustine said, uh, "The rich man, though a, a king, is a slave. The immoral man, though uh, though a king, is a slave, and the poor man." Though a slave is free because a man has as many masters as he has vices. Mm-hmm. He clearly stated that passion, if it's let by, if it uh, escapes from rational control, will become a master and the person will become a slave. That's exactly what happened here. Uh, pornography disappeared when Christianity succeeded the Roman Empire. Again, it was a function of technology. So there was pornography. In the ancient world, in Pompeii, for example, you would have uh, mosaics, pornographic mosaics, but you had to go into a whorehouse to, to find them. This changed again uh, with the outbreak of revolution. I'm talking about the French Revolution, and pre- preceding that was pornographic editions, their etchings of illustrating uh, the Marquis de Sade's uh, uh, pornographic novel, Justine. So it, it re entered. Uh, history uh, as a weapon. This was weapon uh, used to uh, overthrow the Bourbon monarchy. It was used to suppress the Vendée, the uprising against it. And over and on top of that, uh, basically the Marquis de Sade came up with the philosophy of what we're talking about here. And so, you know, uh, if you want to, the, the he says basically the the uh, the uh, moral man is at rest, uh, but the immoral man is in constant motion. Well, if you're interested in motion, if you're interested in revolution, you're interested in motion. And so once again, this got weaponized. Uh, The pornography, the subversion of morals, the presentation of these images was put to political purpose. In the 1930s, sexual misbehavior was uh, masturbation in particular, was put as a weapon, uh, proposed as a weapon by uh, Wilhelm Reich in his psychology of mass fascism. And finally, they came together, and now we've had a period of unprecedented oligarchic control over our economy, so the 20-year-olds are basically in debt, and the main what has happened in this period of time, let's say from the Paul Volcker Fed up to the present, is usury has concentrated wealth into fewer and fewer hands, and these people have used that money to basically promote sexual liberation, to distract people from the fact that they're they're poorer than their parents were, and so the, the this generation, twenty year olds, wakes up and they realize I'm in I've got unrepayable student loan debt, and I've got pornography on my phone, and the pornography is here to distract me from my student loan debt, 
and I'm not taking it anymore. And so last month, to bring things up to date, a group of people, young men, organized a boycott of pornography and, uh, and a boycott of, of masturbation. This immediately caught the eyes of the cultural, uh, uh, the oligarchs and their uh, instruments of control. And so Rolling Stone wrote an article condemning these people and calling them anti-Semites because they're not watching pornography. So <laughs> that's, that's pretty much where we stand today. That was the, the, pretty much the whole trajectory of how this came about. Wow. <laughs> Great. You have actually, I have several questions written down and you just kind of walked all the way through. <laughs> We're checking them all off as we go here. <laughs> um, but to take, let's, let's kind of go back a little bit. Uh, um, you were talking about the marquee and, and the French and, and um, in your book, it kind of starts off with the Illuminati and we think of them mainly through the big giant conspiracy theory. But you said something about they were, they took a, like the idea of Christian confession and we're able to flip that in a way of control. Can you kind of tell us what you mean by that? Yeah, well, uh, at, there was a group called the Illuminati. It was uh, The leader was a man by the name of Adam Weishaupt. He was the um, uh, pr uh, a professor of canon law at the University of Ingolstadt. He was also, uh, by the way, probably the model for Frankenstein. Uh, <laughs> because... Uh, 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 Mary Shelley read Barrowell's memoirs. Mm, and... Uh, uh, yeah. That's where they found out. That's where she found out about this. Mm -hmm. But uh, he was. Uh, this was a Je university was run by the Jesuits, and the Jesuits had examination of conscience, which is a prelude to going to confession, sacramental confession. So you go and you go through the Ten Commandments, and you find out what your faults are, and then you discuss them with your spiritual advisor, and then you go to confession. And the priest who hears your confession. Uh, tells you uh, these are your sins. Now uh, your sins have been absolved. Now go and sin no more. So if you if you want to be free, you have to confess your sins. But he turned it upside down. Revolution is always turning something upside down. And so what you do instead of freeing the person by absolving him from sin and saying go and sin no more, you control the person by finding out what the sins are and then promoting the vices. And then you can become the man's controller. And uh, this becomes a way of controlling uh, groups of people. And that's how it, it got started with the Illuminati. And uh, one of the other people who read the same memoir, Barrowell's memoir about the French Revolution, was Sigmund Freud. And so Sigmund Freud proposed his form of control, which was basically a parody of the confessional. So you the, the, you know, you lie down on the couch and you tell Freud your your uh, your your you're talking about your problems and you very get involved in talking about your sins because they're the cause of your problems. So one of the uh, uh, an American uh, doctor who wanted to become a psychiatrist lay down on the couch and, and in the course of his uh, psychoanalysis he said he was uh, having sex with one of his patients, wealthy woman. Instead of Freud saying, well, that's a bad thing, you should stop doing that and uh, you know, go and sin no more, he says, no, divorce your wife, marry this woman, and then make a big contribution to the psychoanalytic association. Mm -hmm. So once again, we see this as, you know, this is traditional spiritual practice turned upside down, turned into a form of control in which, uh, through which Sigmund Freud could uh, bilk rich Americans of their money in exchange for some type of rationalization of what they were doing. 
Now, now we think it's interesting as we think of psychology and we think of like, for instance, now how like sodomy and homosexuality used to be considered a mental disorder. And we think of it recently being taken over and, and now it's just now being distorted. But what you're saying is really from the beginning, it was always about control and giving over to vice. You're, you're referring to psychology now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, you think about the American Psychology Association and how at one point in time they, they declared uh, homosexuality and transgender to be mental disorders. But now right. they've, they've changed on that. And so we think of that being this recent – this kind of a recent – uh, takeover of that and a distortion of something that was good. And it seems to be that you're saying even from the very beginning with people like Freud. Oh, yeah, it goes way back. I mean, libido dominante is, among other things, it's a history of psychology as well. And the, uh, all three branches, the, uh, the you know, behaviorism, Freudianism, and the, and the third way, the Carl Rogers stuff, they're all forms of control. They just do, go about it in a different way. And and so uh, I, I don't... I don't I, the American Psychological Association, in its DSM, had uh, homosexuality as a, me- a mental disorder. Well, I'm not sure it was. <laughs> I think it's I think it's a vice <laughs> mm-hmm. that can lead to mental disorder. But I think that they tried to erase the moral element uh, by just claiming it was a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. And then in the 70s, a group of Jews just uh, decided they were going to get rid of that too. So they they changed it in the 70s. I cover that in a book called. How Meyer Lansky took over the Cincinnati Ballet, because it had direct relevance to that to that story. But uh, it, it was it's a, it's a moral disorder, and it, and moral disorders uh, if, if if morality is practical reason. So if you consistently violate the tenets of practical reason, you'll lose your reason and you'll become insane. Uh, but they're two they're two different things, and I think they tried to collapse it into one thing, and then they 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 tried to absolve it. If it's a mental illness and they're the controllers of who determines what it is, then they, they erase that. And that's what they did. So currently in the United States, we have a birth rate that's at an all-time low. But I also was reading the other day that um, single women, I think we top the entire world in single women in uh, the United States. So how does sexual immorality lead us to a point where we have most women wanting to just be single uh, no births happening, and you even have this, uh, as you know, this movement called Men Going Their Own Way, where men are just kind of leaving marriage. They don't want to get married anymore. Right. Yes. Uh, this uh, pornography leads to isolation, mm. the sense mm-hmm. of isolation. And and it, it, you, do, you acquire all kinds of bad habits here, and you become basically a, an unpleasant person to be with. And so you're you're you go out and you look for someone uh and you find out that that person's unpleasant too and you have one bad experience after the other and then you just give up uh it happens with both both sexes so it's not surprising uh because uh at this point in in your life uh, when you're in your 20s the main thing you have to do is find someone else to share your life with to get married and the main thing blocking that is the isolation that pornography creates uh, for a lot of reasons. You know, I mean, for one reason, it gives you a completely unrealistic idea, understanding of what sexuality is. Mm-hmm. Uh, sin is an isolating factor. And as a result, you just don't, you don't, the bond is not there. It's not being formed. People are not being formed. Uh, they're not, uh, they're not joining together to make that, that lifelong 
respond. And that's a serious, serious problem. And uh, the only way to deal with it is to, to eliminate pornography. Uh, and it doesn't look as if the law is not going to do it. You have to eliminate it personally from your life. And you have to find other people who have done similar things so you can make that connection. Do you think this has anything to do with... So we have this... We actually talked about another episode. We kind of have this weird uh, subsection of men or males in the United States where there's like this area in between boyhood and manhood, and we called it guy, guy land. It was actually from a book. And you see these guys that they're content playing video games. They never want to finish anything. They live in their mom's basement. They don't want to move out. They don't really want to find a wife. They don't want to work with their hands. They maybe go to college, and if they get a degree, it's some odd gender studies thing or something. Do you, do you see any connection between sexual immorality or pornography in general with men leading to this uh, laziness, leading to this not wanting to achieve anything? Of course. <laughs> what do you think they're doing in their mother's <laughs> basement? <laughs> this is true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, there's a direct causal connection here. Mm-hmm. And and what what you what you're doing here is rendering a whole generation uh, docile. You're, you're creating a docile generation so that they don't uh, organize and say default on their student loan debt or something like that, or rise up and burn down buildings. But you're making them useless as well, and so you're having this tremendous. You're paying this tremendous economic price uh, in 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 turning people into just docile slaves. Of their own passions, it's it's horrendous. <laughs> the only and 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 it's necessary. So when when I was at uh, Occupy Wall Street, those were the people who were there. Mm. It was all twenty year olds, and they all held little cards and said, "I'm um uh, fifty thousand dollars in debt, student loan debt, and all I can get is an unpaid internship." <laughs> Yeah. And they feel there's something, debt really creates a sense of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And I think that these people are shrewd enough, the oligarchs are shrewd enough to say, when you fall into this, uh, we'll give you something to distract you from your consciousness of your debt, and it's it's pornography. Mm-hmm. This is two sides of the same coin. Over this period from the, the, from the 78, let's say, up to the present, you've got an increase of uh, money taken out of the economy through compound interest being concentrated into fewer and fewer hands, and then these people reinvesting it in the economy as a form of control by promoting uh, the homosexual movement, pornography, uh, feminism, all of these forms of sexual liberation. They're all forms of control, and that's to keep everyone docile and either working, working hard and paying off their debts and doing nothing else. But it seems to me the problem then with that, if you're trying to be the one in control, you end up going too far and you've, you've, you've created a, a huge mess. So what's the end goal in that there for them? What, I mean, uh, how do they get around? What's the idea now? What's next? You've, 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 you're destroying the West. You've got to fix it somehow. Yes. The next thing is hate speech. So what you're seeing is where the people wake up to their situation, they start talking about it, and then the, the, the groups like the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, they don't like it, and so they impose hate speech uh, on the Internet or uh, it, political correctness at the, uh, on campus mm-hmm. to keep people from uh, articulating what's bothering them. This is a recipe for violence. Uh, 
but that's they they are determined to maintain their control over the culture even as they're losing control of the narrative so they lose control of the narrative there are people who are saying no that doesn't this is a better way they're talking about it on YouTube and then they say no we're going to ban you for saying things that you shouldn't be saying we're going to uh, you know call you uh, you know names and so on and so forth well so final question here for you then to uh drive this home so what's the answer for us then what what do you think is the answer for this today how what what do we what's the response the 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 answer is to get rational control of your life and understand that logos is the fundamental principle of the universe and if you're aligned with that logos then you will have a happy life uh you will have a successful life uh the f- first manifestation of logos is practical reason and practical reason is another word for morality. So you have to follow the moral law, which means you uh, put your passions under rational control. Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Okay, <laughs> because people can uh, derive all kinds of bad habits from this. So we have an advantage here because we know that the Logos is not just an abstract principle. It's a living person. It's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. It's Jesus Christ and that he came down from heaven to redeem us, which means that you can derive power from Jesus Christ uh, that will help you overcome these vices. That's the good news. That's the good news of the gospel. All right. Well, you know, we, we would, uh, I think we agree with much there. I, I would love to <laughs> to add in, we, as part of that, Jesus declares us righteous in his righteousness. And, right. uh, uh, and that's what enables us then being being declared righteous by his righteousness uh, and imputed righteousness then gives us to a way to become what we've been declared you know we 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 are uh we're walking out what he's done for us in our lives so yeah i would i would say that the the sacramental system of the catholic church is the source of grace the grace that will change your life beginning with baptism and then all the other the, the whole seven sacraments but we're talking about uh, Jesus Christ as the Logos, as the hope of the world, and a return to Logos is what we need right now. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you for coming on. This was this was great. We we're actually really looking forward to this for quite a while. Uh, if if somebody's listening and they wanted to uh, maybe get in contact with you or read something you've written or maybe visit your website, can you tell our listeners uh, where they could find you or uh, how they could find your books? Yes, go to culturewars.com. Uh, all my books are available, the links to the videos, and so on and so forth. You'll find everything you need at culturewars.com. Well, again, thank you so much for uh, spending your time with us tonight, and thank you for uh, this interview. This was great. I, I was really enjoying listening to everything you were talking about, and I think most of our listeners will, will really enjoy it, too. Good, good. The pleasure was all mine. That was Dr. E. Michael Jones, Culture Wars Magazine. You are listening to The Patriarchy on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We'll be right back.